Anybody here for the first time today? Anybody here for the first time? Any first-time visitors today? All right, let's welcome them. Let's welcome them. Come on. Welcome to the sanctuary. I hope you'll still be happy that you came after the message. Anybody excited about the word this morning? Come on. I'm excited. I get to preach one last word before I go on vacation to celebrate 25 years of marriage. Amen. To my beautiful wife. Yeah. Amen. We're celebrating. So I'm bringing both barrels with this one. Amen. We ready for the word? All right, let's kill these lights for a minute. I want you to check out these videos. Yeah, let's leave those lights off anyway. Natural thing, of course. I mean, I mean, I could work out all day, and obviously, I'm a, I'm, I'm an athlete myself. Um, but I'm never gonna. Be. Where's the other one? There's no one more? And maybe not. All right, didn't work. All right, that's all right. See, the series that we're in the middle of doing right now is called Body Building. Amen? And so we've been doing body building. We're going to be dealing with building the body this entire summer, man, because I really had a, a God put this on my heart to build the body. And just like you saw in, in, in those videos, sometimes people walk around giving it all they got, but because they've had some bad teaching or some wrong training or some bad training, they end up hurting themselves. And people could end up doing some pretty silly things thinking that they're building the body. How many of you have seen some ridiculous things in the gym? Right? Planet Fitness is notorious for seeing people like eating pizza and sitting the wrong way on the machine, just kind of going up and down like, yeah. And there's tons of videos that you can look up. And, and see, the problem is when we do wrong things to build the body, sometimes we hurt ourselves and sometimes we hurt other people. You add to that the popular trend, which is now to see how little we can do to get the most results. Anybody with me on that? How little we can do. How much time can we cut off of exercise and still build the body that we want? Anybody with that? Right? We had P90X came out, right? And people were P90Xing and everybody was, yeah, P. But then they found out, but they realized P90X takes a whole hour. And so the company came out and said, well, we got T25 now. How many bought T25? T25 is only 25 minutes. So I don't, ain't nobody got time to do an hour of exercise. So we do T25 and we do a T, you know, only, but then T25 is taking a long time because it's so intense and it's so hard. So the same company saw the trend and so they came out with the 10-minute trainer. How many of you bought that one? I know all the hands are staying down. It's all right. God knows you're lying. 
So there's the 10-minute trainer now. And then if, if you look all over the internet, there's tips and tricks on how you can get a six-pack doing five minutes, these three simple exercises for five minutes a day, right? No? You can look even better. You can look like you work out without any exercise at all by just taking the pills, says Dr. Oz. How many of you bought the Cambodia Carcinio or whatever and the green tea ex- extract and the raspberry ketones? Come on. You're looking at me like you don't know, but you got them. I know you got them. Because Dr. Oz says so, so it's got to be true. He said you take these pills and you, because we're looking and, and we buy all of this stuff and we try it. We buy the ab rocket, the ab socket, the ab locket. We buy that vibrating belt. The, don't raise your hands because you're going to be embarrassed. But you buy that vibrating belt with the batteries that just clenches your ab muscles because it sends a little electric shock, right? And so we sit in front of the TV while playing video games, eating nachos and cheese, having the belt going, <coughs> and we think we're exercising. Because the, the, the commercial says, the infomercial says, I can get a six-pack just do, doing this seven minutes a day. <coughs> Everybody see where I'm going? But if you ask the experts, if you ask somebody that actually has a six-pack, somebody that's actually jacked, I mean somebody that has, you know, the six-pack starts up here and it ends, you know, it's like an 11-teen-pack. Don't you hate those guys? If you're here, I hate you. No, no, I'm just kidding. But if you ask somebody that actually has that physique, somebody that actually has that body, they'll tell you, there's no shortcuts to this, man. There's no shortcuts, man. It's hard work. It takes a strict diet. Nobody wants to hear the D word. It takes, it takes a strict diet. It takes determination. It takes perseverance. Where am I going with this? I'm glad you asked. The same thing applies when it comes to our spiritual bodies. Uh-oh. There's a trend, and sometimes the trend is sometimes the same. What's the less I can do to still get the most of God? What's the less I can do to get the most results in my walk, in my faith? They came out with the Bible in a year plan. How many of you tried that? If you read this, the, the passages in the Bible in a year plan, if you read it every day, it's 20 minutes it takes, right? If, and then by the end of the year, you've read the entire Bible. Amen? How many of you quit February? So, so, so the publisher says, wait a minute, there's something better. There's a 10-minute Bible. People will buy that. And people buy that because it's a 10-minute Bible. I just have to read my Bible 10 minutes a day, and I'll, I'll get, not a full, but I'll get a good picture of the entire Bible in a year, 10 minutes a day. Amen. But then people say, I ain't got time for that. So the same publishers came out with the one-minute Bible. How many of you bought the one-minute Bible? Don't, come on, don't be ashamed. Because listen, if you're reading the Bible at least one minute a day, you're probably doing most more than most Christians are doing anyway. Uh-oh. Hashtag say he did it. <laughs> so it's no surprise when we get things in the scriptures twisted. Because we want the cliff notes of everything. We don't want the full version. So it's no surprise when we get things kind of twisted and kind of messed up, right? And if you've been around church for a lot of years, you've seen some disturbing trends in church. How many of you came from Rahatabla Pentecostalism? Praise God. 
It's amazing how we can take the word and mix it up with tradition and preach it like it's gospel, ain't it? Religion tells us, brother, because religion always talks like Hulk Hogan. Religion says, brother, you better cut your hair and remove those tattoos if you want God to listen to you. You ever heard this? You ever heard this one? Brother, God only starts listening to your prayers in the second hour. The first hour is just for you to get warmed up and realize what you want to say to God. God only starts listening in the second hour of prayer, and God only moves after the third hour of prayer. So if you're not praying for three hours, brother, you're wasting your time. Anybody ever heard that? See, we get all this legalism and all these rules from, <coughs> sorry, from one or two misapplied scriptures. And all of a sudden, there's bands. We can't wear no pants. We can't wear no makeup. No shaving your hairy legs. I had a church leader once, a church leader. This was a leader in the church. He grabbed me. And, and mind you, I was a youth pastor already for a couple of years. I had already been leading young people to the Lord. And, and this, this church leader grabbed me one day, and, and he told me, brother, but it was in Spanish. It was hermano. He said, brother, do you know how God could use you if you took that earring out? He was dead serious. He was telling me that with full conviction. Brother, you know how God could use you if you took that earring out? And, and I, I wanted to scream. I wanted to say, wait a minute. So it's not the sin in my life that's stopping God? It's not, it's not the unforgiveness and bitterness that I'm hiding. It's not the wickedness in my heart that you don't know about. It's not that lust that I'm covering up. That's, all I have to do is take the earring out and I'll be good with God. I didn't say that, but inside I was, I was screaming all of that. Inside I was in his face with my fingers like that, you know. But on the outside I was just. All I have to do is look the part you're telling me on the outside, and God will be pleased. Church, that's Pharisee faith. I remember thinking back then, there's something wrong in the church, man. There's some wrong teaching someplace. There's some wrong thinking. There's some bad discipleship going on somewhere. I don't know where it started, but somewhere there's something wrong in the church. And family, that was over 15 years ago. Fast forward to today. I told you I listen to sermons every day, right? Every day I'm a, I don't like to waste that train ride. And plus it helps me to not be in people's business because I'm one of those that I sit there and you start talking in the train. I'm all in your, in your mug. I'm like. <laughs> when my wife's with me, she always got to pinch me and go, stop staring. And I said, but they're talking loud. I can hear it, you know. But I'm like, I'm in there like. So my wife's not with me on the train route to work, so I like to listen to sermons so I can kind of tune out and just, you know, hear from God. And so I listen to two or three sermons every day on the way and, and sometimes one or two on the way back, right? And, and sometimes I hear some things, man. I like to listen to different preachers so I don't listen to the same type of, you know, preaching all the time because then I find myself kind of turning into that person. So, you know, if you start hearing me talk like T.D. Jakes, it's because I listen to too much Jakes or, or you know, if I, if I want to talk, you know, anyway, let's not even go to names. <laughs> so, but I like to listen to different angles. You know, I like to hear the word from different angles. I love, I love hearing the word broken down. And sometimes there's stuff that I hear and I get, oh, man. And I make a note on my phone and I say, I got to check that out. I got to research that because I want to use it. Right? That was good stuff. 
And, and sometimes, man, I go, I get it, I research it, and I'll use it here like I came up with it, man. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. Because every preacher does that. They're lying to you. There's nothing new in the word, amen. But sometimes, and this is happening more and more lately, when I get back to the word to research that thought, because I'm excited, I want to preach about that. I, I get to the scripture that they were using, and I come to find, man, that was good speaking, but that wasn't good preaching. See, saying it that way was awesome for the applause. It was great for the preacher, but it wasn't so good for the body. Instead of fresh bread, it was nachos and cheese. Church, there's too much fast food preaching going on. And the body of Christ is becoming anemic and malnourished because we're living on fast food. Somebody say amen. Amen. Church, we have to be careful that our entire spiritual diet doesn't consist of fast food. See, it's more fun to listen to someone that will tell you what you want to hear. But it's more beneficial to listen to someone willing to tell you what you need to hear. Ay, ay, ay. This word is going to start getting quiet. See, people could come up on a pulpit and shout, God wants you happy. God wants you successful. Ha! God, God, God wants you blessed. Ha, ha! And, and they can use scriptures even. They can say, brother, you're the head and not the tail. You're the lender and not the borrower. But it's a fast food, drive in, drive out. They can tell you, you're an overcomer. You are more than an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. You can do all things. When I'm weak, God is strong. They can tell you, victory is in your hand. Touch five people and tell them, victory, 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 victory is in your hand. Touch five people, right? And, and man, we walk away from a sermon like that and we say, "Woo, that was a good preacher. That boy preaching fire. He preaching desparate. Hype. It's all for the applause. He's Lady Gaga. Ay, ay, ay. So what's the problem? He was preaching scripture, right? The problem is there's no healthy balance. See, we would love to, but we can't live on dessert. Come on. If it, it's, it's, that stuff is awesome, but it's the cookies and cream of the scriptures. And you can't live on cookies and cream. See, cookies and cream is awesome, but cookies and cream will not prepare you to walk out your faith. It will will not equip you to stand when all hell breaks loose around you. Cookies and cream won't help you build endurance to be victorious. It won't help you build the strength to overcome. It It will only get you out of shape spiritually. Too many Christians are living on dessert. There's no nutritional value in dessert. Some, sometimes there's no nutritional value in fast food. There's no fiber. There's no roughage. Sometimes there's no even real meat. Ay, ay, ay. See, there's more scriptures telling us that in this world, things are not always going to work in your favor. 
But nobody wants to put that on a t-shirt. Imagine, in this world, things are not always going to work out. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Grateful apparel. <laughs> right? <laughs> You're not going to put that on a t-shirt because nobody's going to buy it. Nobody's going to buy a t-shirt saying, in this world, you will have problems. We don't want to hear that, but we need to know that. Say amen. Because if all the pastor tells you is you got the victory, then when you don't have the victory, you're going to think it's you. You're going to think God's not real. You're going to think, and the enemy's going to come and tell you it's because God doesn't love you. It's because you're not special. It's because God doesn't listen to you. And, and now you're, you're a mess. Amen? In this world, things are going to get difficult at times. Things might not always go your way. Sometimes you're going to have to trust God when it doesn't make sense. Sometimes you're going to have to trust God when it doesn't seem possible. Cookies and cream will not instruct you that there will be seasons of sowing and planting and working. And usually those come before seasons of harvest and blessings. If you've been walking for the Lord for any amount of time, you understand that sometimes seasons of sowing and planting, they seem like they're never going to end. Anybody been in the season where you're trying, man, and you're giving it all you got, and you're sowing and sowing, and, and you feel like this season is never going to end, man. I don't see any change in my kids. I don't see any change in my house. And you feel like the season is never going to end. Some seasons, you have to plant everything you got. You're sowing blood, sweat, and tears. And sometimes you have to get past the point <coughs> where you have nothing left to sow. Before you see the hand of God arrive in victory. Before you see the hand of blessing. But church fast food will not give you the endurance to last that long. And the, and the chances are you'll quit way before you see the blessings of God. You'll stop long before your breakthrough. Come on. Am I talking to anybody today? I know this ain't good preaching. I know this is not going to build a mega church in the Bronx. But listen, this will build God's people up, and that's the calling that I've been given. I don't, I don't like to preach fluff because fluffy people fall away. So one area I want to deal with, let me get to the message, you know. New people got scared right now. But for real, I'm going to start the message. So one area I want to deal with this morning before I'm done is this area of grace. Ay, ay, ay. Some of you thought you was all comfortable and understood everything about grace. Listen, more and more I'm hearing this new grace message being preached. And I'm sure, you know, it's gotten into some of you, I'm sure, be, because it's, I'm hearing it from all over, from big names in ministry. And I see how it's crept into the local church because we all listen to other preachers. We visit other churches. We go to conferences, right? And that's all good. There's no problem with that. When it's a problem is when we take fluffy preaching and confuse it for sound doctrine. Is it all right if I deal with some things today? See, the problem is too many Christians are conference whores with little or no attachment to the word. Hashtag, did he just say whore? 
See, you can't take what you hear even from me without checking it out for yourselves in the Word. If you hear something and you get excited about it, before you put it into practice, check it in the Word. If you hear something and it offends you and it convicts you and you get angry about it, before you write an email to Pastor Gary, check it in the Word. The problem is that would take too much time, right? It takes too much time to check. I just I want to hear the message and, well, you know, I believe it. That's good stuff, good preaching. It takes too much time. And the, the, the problem with that is that's why preachers feel like they can tell you anything they want because they know you're not going to check it. I can tell you Deuteronomy 46, 11 says, and I'm just throwing numbers. There might not be a 46, 11. But you're not going to check it. Oh, man, the light's going on for anybody, please. See, I'm not trying to offend you, church. I want to build you up. Amen? 1 Timothy 4.16. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both your, yourself and your hearers. That's amazing. So Paul, Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he tells him, watch the way you live and watch the way you believe and watch it closely. Persevere in those two areas. That's a strong word to speak to someone that you're mentoring. He says, watch the way you live and watch the way you believe. If you do this, I love the promise that's attached to this. If you do this, you'll save yourself and you'll save your listeners. That's awesome. That means if you flip that, you can damage yourself and you can damage your listeners. I, I want you to feel the weight of that for a moment. So, so there's, so, so there's this, all these people and, and popular preachers preaching this hyper-grace message. And, and it's making its way in and I believe it's causing damage to the body. I want to break it down and I want to deal with some of the things in, mentioned in these things. So I'm going to go into some scriptures. Stay with me, all right? We're going to break it down because the problem is there's some absolute truth in the message. And so it's hard to discern when something is false if it's sandwiched with truth. You, you with me? And so that's why it gets so dangerous. Here's the truth of the message. Grace is a free, unmerited gift from God. Absolute truth. Say, praise God, thank you. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So grace is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. Listen, gifts are free. All you have to do is receive them. Say amen. amen. Romans 3.23. Listen to this. Romans 3.23. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. To all who believe. You want the Greek explanation for that? All. Everybody. Amen. To all who believe, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That's an awesome full scripture. It's saying we're justified. That means that we're declared righteous. And we have redemption. That means that something has been given in exchange for us. So we've been redeemed. And then Paul tells us here it was given freely. Say free. 
If it's free, it's for me. Amen? So free means you didn't have to pay for it. Here's another truth in the hyper grace message. We are saved through grace by faith, not by works. Okay, faith versus works is another big issue in the church, right? So we're saved by faith, by grace, by faith, not by works. There's a lot of drama here, but we're going to kind of clear it up for a moment. Ephesians 2.8. Ephesians 2.8. And if anybody wants these notes, I'll give you these notes so that you can look it up for yourself and you can check it out. Amen? Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, And this is not for yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast. So, grace is a free gift given by God. You can't earn it by works, because otherwise God would know that you'd be boasting about it. So, it's a free gift. Nobody earns it. The scripture before says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, that puts us all on the same level. Amen? And then we receive this gift, it's the redemption of God through faith. Not by works, so we can't earn it. Amen? So a big thing I hear through this point is we don't have to do anything then. Here's where we get into error. That means we don't have to do anything. Anything that we try to do to please God is works. And, and another scripture says our works are like filthy rags. So that means we don't have to do anything. We're striving to earn salvation. And we don't have to strive to earn salvation because it's a free gift. Amen? Here's where we start to get in trouble. Let me point out where it's wrong. Ephesians 2.8 says, like we read before, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not for yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that none can boast. So Paul is clearly teaching here that you're not saved by works. Right? Now, it's what you believe, not what you do. But if you read in the next verse, the very next verse, Ephesians 2.10 It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works. Oh, snap. So Paul is saying we're not saved by works. True, but we were created for good works. Bam, amen. So we're not saved by works, but we were created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the gospel is clear. What we believe matters And what we do matters. Uh Uh-oh. Now, if we step over into James, we get a full-blown view of this topic. Keep in mind, Paul was writing to the Christian Gentiles. James is writing to the Christian Jews. So their focus is a little different, and it's been said that James contradicts Paul. So much that even Luther, the great reformist, says that the book of James is not even anointed. It shouldn't be in the Bible. There's been such a conflict between James and Paul, and they say that it contradicts. But if we really look at it, it completes. It doesn't contradict. Follow, follow. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So the controversy comes in, in, the, in here, in James 2. It says, What God is, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? So it sounds like he's saying faith alone can't save you. But we just heard Paul saying that we're saved by works. So is there a contradiction there? Read on so we can get a better understanding. James 2.15 says, 
Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is your faith? What good is it? James is saying, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So we could have a faith that's dead. James says there's such thing as believing and not doing anything, and that faith is dead. This is dangerous, church. So he says, so, but, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Paul says we're saved by faith, not by good works, but we were created for good works. James is explaining it from a different angle. He's saying faith, believing, is demonstrating by doing works. So faith is demonstrated. If I have a faith, it's going to show. Tell somebody, it's got to show. It's got to show. If you have a faith, it's got to show. It's not something we hide and we come here on a Sunday and then we let it out. Woo, let the faith out and let it breathe for a little bit. Let it raise his hands for a little bit. Woo! And then when we leave here, we button it back up and keep that faith hidden. No, if you have a faith, it has to show, and it's going to show in our actions. It's going to show by what we do. He's saying faith without works, belief with no action is dead. James goes even further. He says, you believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that. I. <laughs> James is raw. He's saying, even Satan believes what you believe. But what good does it do him? See, we can have a, a, a faith that saves, or we can have a saving faith, but, but we can have a faith that's dead and a faith that does nothing. Oh, come on. James is saying, it's deeper than knowledge. Even the demons know there's one God. Even the devil believes there's one God, but belief itself doesn't save him. Oh, man. Woo, I'm doing T25 up here. At least you hope, because then it'll be over in 25 minutes. He says, faith without works is dead. Church, dead faith is like a dead fish. It does nothing, and after a little while, it starts to stink. So let's recap. God's grace is a gift. True. We've been counted as righteous when we believe. True. We've been saved by grace, not works. So we've been saved by what we believe, not what we do. True. So it doesn't matter what we do or how we believe. False. Wrong answer. Amen? James says what we do matters. Listen to me. This hyper grace message that people are teaching right now, and I'm hearing it creeping into the church, it says God doesn't see our sin anymore. There's Pentecostals rolling over in their graves right now. Because people are preaching, God doesn't see your sin anymore. Where, where he, he sees us through Jesus, and, and that's all true. Jesus, we're his, he's our redemption. He paid the price for our sins. That's true. But, but <coughs> to say that God doesn't see our sins, listen, that's a truth sandwich with bad meat in it. Here we go. That carries with it a message that says our sins don't matter to God. So as long as you have faith, 
As long as you have the righteousness of God, as long as you have the free gift of God, you don't have to worry about sin in your life. You don't have to repent anymore because he died for all your sins. That's a dangerous message, church. This is a dangerous teaching, and I see it throughout the body of Christ. They're saying our sin doesn't really matter. He'll forgive me anyway, so let's keep it moving. No. Can I back that up with Scripture? Yes. Let's take it to the book. Come on. Stay with me. Hang in there. We're on the home stretch. Titus 2.11. Titus 2.11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The gift of God, the grace of God teaches us to say no and to live in self-control. Oh, man. Where in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So church, the Spirit of God says here, the Spirit of God has been given us to us as our counselor to be our guide. The Holy Spirit in us convicts us of sin and guides us. You know that feeling when you did something that you shouldn't have done? Amen. Two of you shook your hands. The rest of you are like, nah, man. I feel totally good. There's a feeling. There's a conviction that the Holy Spirit brings to us when we know something's not right. When we know we have to go say I'm sorry to somebody. When we know we have to go reconcile. When we know we have to go make things right. When we know when we have. Listen, when we understand that sin is an outrage that it grieves the heart of God. But we don't hear that preaching anymore, so we don't hear that. We don't want to deal with it. But we need to hear it again. We need to hear that sin grieves the heart of God so that we can get back to being in touch with the Spirit of God. But this hyper-grace message says we don't have to repent anymore. God has removed our sins, and he doesn't remember them anymore. All with cleverly using a scripture or two that sounds like truth. But listen, check this out. If all of our sins were already covered, hear this because this is a, a, a total good proof here. If all of our sins were totally covered and we didn't have to repent daily and come to God daily with our failings and our shortcomings, why would Jesus tell us in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11 that when you pray, you should pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us. What, what, is he, what, what is the key in there? He's saying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So Jesus is saying, this is how we should pray. We should come to God in repentance daily. I hope somebody can grab this. Amen. Jesus says that's a way to live. Repentance is a lifestyle. Why? Because sin is so destructive that it, it wrecks our lives, it wrecks our families, it wrecks communities, it wrecks cities. It destroys and condemns the world. And we, we could think, well, my little sin is just between me. It's just me. No, man, your sin affects everyone. This is a hard message. I know nobody will come back and hear this again. I know. 
But your sin affects everyone. My sin affects everyone. It does damage. It grieves the heart of God. Paul, Paul paints this picture with his own life. That because the grace, the hyper grace message also says, there's no striving, man. The Christian life is effortless. Everything's a party, baby. The Christian life is just good, man. I just got to know that, that I'm a saint. I'm not a sinner. Amen. That's true. And I just got to walk good because everything I do, God is pleased with it. And it doesn't matter when I mess up anyway. That's covered. I don't have to deal with it. Paul paints a totally different picture with his own life. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. He says, everyone competes in a game, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Look at this picture. Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. No, I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave. So that after I've preached this to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Is that a picture of an easy life? Woo, put the Christian t-shirt on and everything's cool. Put a little Christian fish on my car and everything's gravy. No, he says, I run in such a way as to get the prize. He said, when things go wrong in my body, I beat my body to make it my slave. So that means he says, there's parts of me that are sinning. I, I, I bring them into obedience. So Paul is saying that he messes up. Paul is saying, I'm the biggest sinner of them all. Paul is saying, I beat my body into submission. I make it my slave so that I won't get disqualified for the prize. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Ay, ay, ay. He goes on to say, no temptation has seized you except what is common to men. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Listen, church, this is a promise from the Holy Spirit of God. God promises a way out under every temptation. The problem is sometimes we're so cold in those areas that we don't see the way out. But I guarantee you, trust me because I've tested this, I guarantee you, if you get, get, get to the place where you get the 10 minutes a day with God, get to the Bible in the year plan, whatever, get yourself into the practice of listening to God and hearing the Holy Spirit. And every time you're tempted, it'll be clear, it'll be clear today, I can do this or I can do this. God will always provide a way out. God will always provide a way out. Now, sometimes you'll still choose to do what you got to do, Right? And then, again, there's no condemnation. I'm not preaching shame. I'm not preaching guilt. I'm not preaching condemnation to you. I'm saying, God, God did die for your sins. God, you can come to God and confess your sins, and he will forgive you. But I'm saying it's a lifestyle of repentance. Amen? What we believe matters. What we do matters. The word clearly says the Spirit of God can be grieved. In Ephesians 4.30, why would the Spirit of God be grieved if he doesn't see our sin? 
the contemporary fast food gospel, it promises everything and it requires nothing. And that's just a false gospel. I don't know how you feel about this church, but it makes me sick. If we went to White Castle every day for lunch, McDonald's every day for dinner, you begin to get disgusted with all the fast food. You start craving something healthy. You start craving something nourishing, amen? I don't know about you, but I want to hear a gospel message that challenges my beliefs. I want to hear something that challenges my walk, that confronts the patterns of my life. I want to hear something that it challenges me and equips me to deal with my sin. I would get nauseous week after week if I came to a church and all the pastors said was, you're great, you're good, you can have your best life right now. God wants everything gravy for you. God got everything covered. You're good. You're awesome. You're good. You're great. And let's start again. You're good. You're awesome. You're great. God is so good and you're so good because God is, you're like God. I would get nauseous of hearing that all the time and all the time and all the time. If you just want a pep talk, join the sports team. If all you want is positive self-help, then, then go to buy a self-help book. There's sections of them in the library, in the bookstore. If this is all you're getting in your church, maybe the word church should be removed from the building. Because that's not the real gospel. Worship team, you guys can come. Family, I don't want you to be condemned today. I don't want you to feel ashamed. But the grace of God convicts the comfortable and comforts the convicted. <coughs> I'm sorry if I went a little long today, but I want to just close with this illustration that God showed me about grace. A couple of weeks ago, I had to go to a, a, a party, and it was to a place in New Jersey. I'd never been there before. I didn't know how to get there, so, you know, you pull out your phone and you put in your GPS. And to, you know, kind of shorten the story, and at one point, the GPS said, take the next exit, 52, I think, for the Garden State Parkway. And up until this point, I was doing fine. You know, the GPS gives you an ETA. It says you're going to be there. It was telling me I'm going to be there at 7.08. That's pretty good. I was supposed to be there at 7, so that's not too bad, right? I'm doing well. I'm doing good. I'm already in Jersey. It says, get off at the next exit, exit 52. And so I start to notice I'm all the way on the left lane. And the next exit is all the way on the right lane. The problem is there's a divider. So it says, get over to exit 52. And so I move over, and I move over, and I move over. But it's three more exits, and there's a divider. I can't. So the exit comes, and it goes. And I'm still going on the interstate. And the GPS all, all automatically redirects. It automatically creates a new path for me because the GPS assumes that I made a mistake. Oh, this is beautiful. The 
GPS assumes that I made a mistake, that, that me making a wrong turn or missing that it was on accident, it assumes that I still want to get to the destination that I put in. And so automatically it redirects and it plots out a new path for me to get to where I need to get to. says you missed an opportunity to get to the, to the to get there the quickest way but I'm still gonna get you there and so it, it, it's saying listen somebody needs to hear that today because you might have messed up somewhere and you think you can't you still can't get there and God is saying you can still get there if you're serious about still getting to the place, the destination where you wanted to get, if you're serious about still being the man or the woman that you once told me you wanted to be, that I created you to be, you might have missed an exit, you might have made a wrong turn, but God says, I'm going to redirect, I'm going to give you a new way to get there. Come on. And the reality of this GPS grace thing hit me. When I realized that I could miss an exit, I could get off too soon, I could get off too late, and no matter what I do, the GPS will continue to direct me on the right path to get to where I need to get to. There's nowhere I can go that it will stop redirecting me. That's such an incredible picture of the grace of God. There's nowhere I can go. I can, and listen, I'm, I'm a knucklehead when it comes to directions, and I miss a lot of exits, and I miss a lot of, a lot of, I make a lot of mistakes, and I've never had a GPS quit and say, that's it, you're a moron, you're, I'm not going to tell you anymore, now you're lost, I've never had a GPS tell me, you are too lost, you can't get to where you want to get, I've never had one just shut off. I've never even heard like the tone of the lady's voice change. It's, it's such a beautiful picture of grace. She says, you missed the exit. It's okay. It's okay. Get off at the next exit. And she never gets angry with me. She never condemns me. She never makes me feel stupid. She never shames me. She never accuses me. She says, okay, that was 52, right? Yeah, that was. <laughs> it's okay, we're going to get off at exit 53 now. But listen what happens. The ETA changes. And so when I missed the stop, it went from 708 to 728. It added time to my destination. The ETA changed because I missed one exit. Listen, the more wrong turns you make, the longer it takes you to get to where you want to get to. Because you see, grace already calculated how long it should take you. And there is an appointed time and season for your breakthrough. And you might think today, because you messed up, because you missed your time, you passed your season. But there are plenty of examples in the scriptures of men and women who might have delayed their season. Men who might have pushed back their appointed time. Some even tried to run away from it on purpose, but they still got there. God still brought them through. Somebody say amen. 
I may have messed up, but I'm still pressing on toward the mark. If that's you, would you stand today? Can we come to God and say, like Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before me, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen.